0: looks good i can't tell who it is to the left of you adam uh, could you uh, go through the rules of engagement for our uh, remote meetings and uh, then do a roll call of attendees please
1: yes i can uh good evening my name is andrea lynch transit planner one lawrence transit here with me is adam weigel transit and parking manager he will work alongside mike wasikowski to facilitate the meeting proceedings This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found in the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute unmute your phone. And now I will do roll call. Lance Fay. Here. Max Schieber. Here. Mike Wasikowski. Here. Alan Ackland. Here. Gregory Critchlow.
0: May not see Greg online.
1: Bill Wilson.
0: I see him online.
1: August Rudisell.
0: Here. And Freddie Gipp. Here. Okay, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six. We definitely have a quorum then. Uh, thank you everyone for attending. Uh, First item on the agenda would normally be a public comment at this point, but given that we are discussing route redesign later in the agenda, I think that we should table discussion of the specific public comments until uh, we get to that agenda item. So uh, next
2: item then is approval of minutes from the uh, April 11th sorry i I think that i think that works for the written public comment but you might want to do a call in case there's public comment for anything else uh is
0: there anyone who has public comment on topics other than wrap redesign online or in the meeting room i see nobody in the meeting room so that's a negative there um i do see a handful of names i do not recognize so is there any public comment Okay. Uh, approval of minutes, then Uh, I hope that everyone who is online from PTAC has had an opportunity to uh, review the minutes. So as always, I will uh, provide everyone three opportunities to uh, provide a uh, provide comments, updates, amendments to the minutes. So. First call. Does anyone have any amendments to offer to the proposed minutes from our April meeting? Second call, does anyone have any amendments to offer to the minutes from the April meeting? Last call. Any PTAC members with amendments to offer to the minutes from the April meeting. Hearing none, uh, I deem them approved by unanimous consent. So, on to our formal agenda then. The uh, first item on the agenda is uh, a discussion of the FY 2022 Lower No Emissions Grant Program as well as uh, grants for buses and bus facilities competitive program. Um, so uh, Adam, I, I believe you want to discuss what we're going to be applying for.
2: Yes, uh, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. So um, this is our annual uh, application opportunity to apply to the federal government for more electric vehicles and charging infrastructure. We have um, been successful the last two years in winning this grant, five buses in 2020 two in 2021. And in this application are seeking four total buses. Uh, Two of them would be uh, 40 foot buses um, from a different manufacturer to try out some different technology. Um, A manufacturer that has the highest range uh, battery bus right now on the market, which is Proterra. And then the other two vehicles would be uh, what's called cutaways. So the shorter vehicles that you see out, Um, In some cases on fixed routes and in some cases for T lifts uh, there is a company making purpose built electric cutaways uh, that are also low floor, uh, meaning they have a ramp that folds out just like the big buses do as opposed to stairs at the front. Um, So there's some couple of unique benefits to to that and we're looking to continue to try some of this new electric technology. awarded this these funds we would be up to 11 buses total and our uh, pilot area if you will for uh, phasing in electric buses can handle up to 12 vehicles so uh, we're getting close to uh, maxing that out which means in future years we will need to take advantage of the um, zero emission transition plan funds that we were awarded from the state to plan out um, you know what happens beyond 12 buses? How do we get to 20 20 buses, 50 buses, all the implications that that would come with. So um, I'll probably leave it at that. Happy to answer any questions.
0: Uh, first I'll offer it up to uh, members of the public. Uh, does anyone have any comments, questions, concerns, those of you who are not be tacking on the line? Okay, uh, PTAC members. Anyone have any comments, questions, concerns about what Adams uh,
3: discussed here? Al Acklin, PTAC member. Uh, I was kind of curious what the uh, lifespan is, or projected lifespan is on uh, the electric buses, um, just on a you know, just just on a curiosity basis, and, and you know, in case the, in case they all have a five-year lifespan then what do you do at the end of the five years we've got to replace a dozen of them at once
2: right yeah good question so um for all the heavy-duty vehicles so the 40 footers well really 30 foot all the way up to 40 foot those uh electric vehicles are projected with the same lifespan as diesel which is 12 years um because we're buying you know these buses for the first time as we purchase these first set we're getting all the extended warranties that we can which guarantee a certain battery capacity throughout that entire 12-year lifespan Um, so we make sure we kind of fully understand how these things function over their life the cutaways are typically a shorter lifespan um, usually closer to uh, eight or ten years so that's what we're expecting out of those vehicles and that's what we expect out of our gasoline-powered ones that we use today Um, i do think until we start running them there's some unknown and there's some um, hopefulness, I suppose, with fewer um, mechanical moving parts in the engine compartment, which is usually where a lot of our our big issues that um, result in diesel and gas buses dying. Um, We hope that electric can help us avoid some of that. Of course, the unknown is then battery capacity. So we're trying to guard against that through warranty, but um, we expect to see the same Uh, useful life as we do out of diesel and gas that we have today.
0: Uh, I will advise from my perspective as an electric vehicle person, um, most electric vehicles that I've seen admittedly not buses, but most electric vehicles tend to see a decent drop in range within the first handful of months of operation just because you're breaking in the battery from like 100% to 95% after that point the lifespan tends to drop almost not at all. Uh, Even Teslas that have been on the road now for 10 years don't see more than like another 10% of capacity decline in that time span. It's pretty unlikely, I think, that you would see the batteries completely fail. But I'm glad that we have the extended warranties anyway, because you you never know what can happen.
3: Alaclan PTAC member. Uh, the, the cost of the extended warranties, is that also part of the uh, um, program or is that something that comes out of the local budget?
2: Yeah, fortunately, we are able to include that in our grant application. So that stuff is all uh, 85% covered by federal funds, 15% local match. Uh,
0: thank you for your questions, Ellen. Uh, do you have anything
3: else? Yeah, this is Al Akhman, PTAC member. I had an uh, interesting comment about the lifespan of batteries. Uh, uh, the industrial use, I mean, it, it's a pretty uh, new uh, process. like I said, a lot of R&D going on and um, interesting to see how things actually play out with the hot and cold and the uh, duty cycles. Um, so I, I guess I'm a little skeptical to, to look any kind of a comparison between any kind of a uh, uh the uh, automobile battery uh, for the consumer versus any kind of industrial application so it'll be interesting process to see how things turn out
0: thank you alan um do any of the other members of ptac have comments questions or concerns Okay, uh, then at this time, if anyone is interested, uh, we would entertain a motion to uh, write a uh, letter of support for this grant at this time. I don't think I should be doing that since
4: I will be writing it. Uh, Lance Fave, uh, PTAC Vice Chair, I will uh, make a motion that we write a letter of support. Thank you, Lance. Uh,
0: Is there a member of
4: PTAC who'd like to offer a second?
0: Second, uh, Freddie Gay, PTAC member. Thank you, Freddie. Uh, one last call, is there any discussion before we hold a vote on this motion?
5: Mike, this is August Fruiter, so I have a, something to talk to you about, about the letter, just a question in general. Is that next or is this all part of the whole process in
0: voting? Yeah, so, the gen- so after we uh, take this vote and uh, assuming that, it appro- that it's approved, then I would draft up a letter and give it to the city staff, and they would include it with the submission packet that's due. Uh, I can't remember the exact date you mentioned to me, Adam, sometime late in May.
2: Yeah, it's due end of May. I'm, I'm wondering if uh, August Reseek and maybe changes to language or additional language.
5: Well, I'm referring to the attached letter on the agenda. Is that the one that we're going to be submitting?
2: We attached a draft of last year's Mm -hmm. as a um, what kind of what has been done before. So if you Uh, wanted some something unique or different this time around, we'd be happy to incorporate. Yeah,
0: what I'll do is probably I'll tailor it to the exact grant that we're applying to. Um, From what Adam mentioned to me, Amy Voles is still the uh, person that we'd be talking to at the FTA. Um, If that's different, then I would tailor the name and the address appropriately. Um, For the most part, uh, yeah, the body of it is probably going to be pretty boilerplate but now I can start mentioning hey we've already gotten a couple of these buses and we look forward to deploying them as well as adding new buses to our fleet to cover different use cases. If anyone wants to look at the draft once I'm done with it I'd be happy to circulate it it's just going to be you know we can't formally discuss it because it's you know we'd have to discuss it in a open meeting. Okay, any other discussion before we vote? Okay, uh, Andrea, could you uh, please take a call of votes on this motion?
1: Yes. Um, Lance Fay. Yes. Max Schieber. Yes. Mike Wazakowski.
4: Aye.
1: Alan Ackland. Aye. Gregory Critchlow. Not present. Bill Wilson. Not present. August Rudisell. Yes. And Freddie
0: Gipp. Yes. That's a unanimous vote. Uh, Thank you, everyone. Uh, I'll get that draft uh, written up and add them over to you. Uh, Probably Miller next week is what I'm thinking. And again, if any PTAC members wanna see what I'm drafting, I'd be happy to send you a copy. Um we just cannot necessarily discuss it formally until we get in to another meeting.
5: Well then this is August first. So then I just have a general question. What what <coughs> Where did the information on last year's letter come from stating that we were the best, I'm trying to remember how it's worded,
0: sorry, that we're the best writer platform in the state? Admittedly, what I'm using is some kind of old figures, but what I did was I had a a statistical assessment that I looked at comparing various cities and ridership per capita, and Lawrence has consistently had the highest ridership per capita of any City bus system in the state. Okay, uh, I don't have the exact numbers, but it's uh, it's a federal set of uh, figures that they assemble every year. Thanks, Mike. Welcome. Next item on the agenda is a presentation from. Uh, KU's self-engineering leadership fellows on uh, building uh, benches for our bus stops, so uh, I'm not sure who's going to be presenting. Uh, I see a couple of KU School of Engineering people online, so I assume you're the people. Hello, uh, Gowrie and Corey. Uh, Is there anyone else who'll be chatting with us today? Yeah, I think that Paige Salas is actually going to be presenting for
2: us. Okay, hi,
3: Paige. Hi.
2: I don't, so Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, I don't know if we want to, um, Felice, did you want to, or I'm happy to provide just a 30-second overview of how, uh, a reminder of how we met the folks over itself and got the thing started?
6: Sure. We met Gowrie at an outreach event and um, began our partnership with the soft school that way. We've been working together for about two semesters with some really, really talented group of students, um, Paige being one of those. So I'm really excited to have them present and tell you what we've been working on for the past two semesters for our DIY bus Finch
7: project.
2: Great, so Paige, take it away.
6: All right, thank you. I'll go ahead and share my screen. All right, can you all see that okay?
7: Yes. Okay. thank
6: you. Hi, as please mentioned, my name is Paige. I'm a self fellow at KU, and I'm here on behalf of the Lawrence Transit Bus Bench Project. So I'd like to start my presentation with a quick introduction to the self program. So this is a program through the School of Engineering made possible and in honor of Madison, Al and Lias Self. Uh, here are some of the skills that we focus on, and the overall mission of SELF is to develop passionate engineers and computer science students who are goal oriented with business and visionary skills to make an impact in engineering related fields. Here are about 130 current SELF fellows, and our team consists of five second year SELF fellows. Unfortunately, any of our team members couldn't be here because of finals, but a quick introduction we have chemical, mechanical, civil, and architectural engineers on our team. Uh, At the beginning of our school year, we were given a number of projects to choose from around the community. And we each separately selected Lawrence Transit as our top partners. For our mechanicals on our team, this was a great opportunity to use software that they'd used in class in a real life setting. For one of our members, they really enjoyed the building process. So again, this was a great opportunity. I know for Sabina and I as civil and architectural engineers, we really enjoyed the design process, which we'll see a lot more later. But overall, all of our members agreed that the main reason we chose this project was because we all saw Lawrence Transit as a great community partner. From the very beginning, they were easy to work with, and we saw how passionate they were about actually completing and the success of this project. So here's our project purpose. It is to design a standard best bench for the Lawrence community and for local community partners to recreate. Our top needs were safety, comfort, ease of construction, and standardization. Here are the deliverables that we completed throughout this past year. In the fall, we focused on mood boards, materials, and design presentations. And in the spring, we built our bench and created an instructional guide and video. Here's our project timeline. This is just to reiterate that we spent the entire first semester in the design process and the second semester completely dedicated to building and testing our bench. So going back to that initial design, our first semester we spent again in its entirety in the iterative design process. Here's an example of one of our mood boards. We really narrowed our scope by focusing on our top needs, which I mentioned before, but also taking into consideration key factors like avoiding hostile architecture. We really wanted to make sure this bench was something that everyone in the Lawrence community could use. Here was our budget. We had a $500 testing budget. We spent $342. Uh, Customer cost was something that we really wanted to take into consideration. We had a limit of 300 but we also really wanted to make sure that any community partner could build this so our solution was to create two levels of benches the first one coming in at 186 and the second one at about 225. so here were those two benches the uh, top right is our first level and our bottom right is our second level so not only did these account for differences in budgets, but we also wanted to account for differences in skill levels. Um, For those who are interested, here are some of the key products from our research that we've recommended. Um, Basically, these are all just geared towards making sure the bench is as durable as possible. Now I'd like to share our final design. So on our left, we have our design in real life after we built it and these were our 3D models. We were all super happy about the results just because as you can see, they look almost identical. I'd like to go a little bit more into the design testing process. So we had a couple of build days and we recorded the entire process. So here's a quick time-lapse of one of our build days. After we finished building the bench, we left it out on KU campus and so that it could get some wear and test it in the elements. And so far it's been performing great. So next is our instructional guide. Uh, These are just some snippets from the guide. And as you can see, we have figures for every step and it's a detailed written guide. So in conjunction with this, we also have an instructional guide video. The entire video is about five minutes in length but there are also step-by-step videos like the one being shown currently that line up with each step in the written instructional guide. Again, we wanted to make this as easy as possible for community partners to build, and we found it very helpful to see what the bench would look like at each step of the way. All right, for project closure, as we mentioned before, our final deliverables are almost complete. We have our instructional guide, our instructional video, and we have our actual bench. A very exciting part of our project closure is that there's potential for our bench that we built to be installed in our Lawrence community. Um, we're looking at placing it potentially at stop 41, which is Naismith and 23rd. Also, Lawrence transit staff will be building um, a web page that's going to host applications to build a bench and all of the instructional materials that we've created. Um, On behalf of our team and the self program as a whole, uh, I'd just like to thank you all for giving us the opportunity to work alongside Lawrence Transit to complete this amazing project for our community. Thank you.
0: Thanks Paige and team. Uh, First, uh, any members of the public have any comments, questions, concerns for them? Um, I see at least one name that I I do not recognize. Okay, uh, PTAC members, do you have any questions for the fellows? Uh, I see a hand raised. Uh, Patricia, do you want to ask something? Mm. Patricia, you wanna ask something you have the floor right now? Okay, we'll give her an opportunity later. If she can figure out how to come. There we go. I
8: unmuted it. I'm sorry I said all that. And I didn't know you were waiting. Um, okay. I think it's a terrific, very enthusiastic. It sounds like it was a great plan and a great execution and um and a really wonderful idea um i have one question about how they address this issue because i used to be a potter and when you make a pot that's going to sit on something you have to be concerned about how it would react if there were one little uneven bump or something like that in other words a, a little like at the bottom of a bowl that you have that that piece that touches the table did it not rock back and forth and it seemed to me that the bottom of the benches how did you Paige, address that um in terms of how they sit because some places have uh uneven surfaces on the on the ground where they'll be sitting or even or at an angle and i just wondered how you've addressed that situation am i clear Was that clear?
6: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, That's a great question, by the way. I appreciate you asking. Um, We spent a very long time in materials research. So even though Lawrence Transit will ultimately be the ones putting the bench into the place where it's supposed to go. We picked Mm -hmm. specific anchors, we added Trex footer to the bottom of our bench so that it can be more stable and more durable. So that way for situations like that, we've done our part to create a good foundation. I think another important thing to point out is that we've designed this project in a way that it can continue to be modified even after our time on this project is over. So we've left enough um, information and such so that once we get to installing these benches, if we need to make slight modifications to um, correct anything, such as what you mentioned, that that would be absolutely possible.
8: Thank you. I think I could take
6: that hand down, uh, Transit Planner 2. I can also add that all the community partnership benches, a huge part of that will be installing them on ADA accessible concrete pads. Um, So that is something that we're really focused on. Any new amenities or benches that we put in will all be um, completely ADA accessible. So I think that'll help
7: with uh, the even surfaces as well.
0: Thank you for that discussion. Um, Appreciate your question, Patricia. Uh, Again, open this up uh, do any p-tech members have comments questions concerns for the fellows
3: here al axlin p-tech member uh i think that's a really impressive looking bench matter of fact i wouldn't mind having one of my backyard. so uh, what have you done to keep me from taking it with my pickup truck the uh, the first evening it's it's out there
2: Thanks, Alan. Uh, we'll do our best, yeah. Alan. I think we got pretty good anchor bolts at uh parks and rec folks are pretty good at that. So we'll do our best.
3: Now, this Al Acklin, PTAC member. Um, the resourcefulness of people that want things uh, never ceases to amaze me. So I hope, I hope you've got a, a pretty good handle on that. I hope so too. Um,
0: I, I do have a question. Um, Uh, You obviously prioritize cost as one of the uh, things that you want to keep down. Uh, I'm curious, what about time management in terms of once you have all the equipment, how long do you think it'll take someone to build one of these benches?
6: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Actually in our finalized instructional guide, we're including at the very beginning, Um, a time estimate for each bench. For us personally, we built the second bench, which will take significantly longer than the first bench, and it took us about a day to build.
0: Okay, thank you. It's considerable effort, but I mean, I I would figure that if someone's going to go through the effort to build one, they might be willing to build more than one and would probably get better at it over time.
5: This is August Russo, PTAC member. Is that time frame, is that with raw materials, like from scratch? Or is that pre-measured and cut materials and all just the exact bolts and, and washers
7: you need?
6: Yeah, so we did this with raw materials while filming. Like, we we did our entire time so that would be a little bit over what an actual customer would be using.
7: Thank
0: you. Yeah, I'm satisfied with that. Uh-huh. Any other PTAC members, comments, questions, concerns before we continue with our agenda?
2: Before we let the self team go, I just wanna thank you all since you're all on screen so much for all the work and um, really excited about how this turned out. It was uh, a long road from A to Z and you guys did a fantastic job. I know Felice had a, a great time working with you. Thank you. Agreed, thanks for
0: presentation and for all your work to help support Lawrence Transit. Uh, Next item on the agenda then is route redesign, a discussion of uh, final planned route changes, including a presentation and uh, we're welcoming members of the Route Redesign Steering Committee to participate in our discussion um, leading up to a vote. So uh, transit staff, uh, Adam, I believe you have something to present to us. Yes,
2: I'll jump into the presentation here. So yes, we do have a couple members of our um, Route Redesign Steering Committee here. I see um, Charlie and Gary from that group. So thank you all for coming. Um, So that steering committee group has been involved with us and the consultant for a little over a year at this point, um, following the building of this this process. So um, also have, well, let's see if I can find them on the screen. Yeah, we have Boris here with us uh, from Foursquare uh, to answer questions as needed. So I'll give the presentation, but you um, need to ask questions of, of uh, Boris, the consultant team I'm here to help. So let me jump into this. Okay, presentation up for everybody i see it okay so um big picture wise to reiterate we are looking at um route redesign uh, being implemented in two phases so this is aligned with the uh, construction and opening of the new transit facility at bob billings and crestline so we'll talk through um, some changes that are proposed or planned for august of this year which is limited to routes that will not um that will not be realigned to touch the transit center site, and then we'll look at changes in January that are dependent on that transit facility being ready for operations. Um, a lot of the first routes that we'll look at are uh, KU-owned operated routes, so there is—they've uh, already been presented to the KU Transit Commission, who makes uh, some of those ultimate decisions on changes. And saw some communication today, Margaretta. Can correct me if I'm wrong, but. I believe everything that we'll look at here um, was approved or recommended forward with no additional changes from from them. That is correct. Okay, great, thank you. So uh, this first slide, I wanted to make clear in August what wasn't changing. So have a list of routes that will uh, remain the same in August as they exist today. And then um, list of the routes that will change January, um list of changes and a couple of additions, things that don't exist, don't exist today. I will probably go through the whole presentation, but then um, that way I can get through the material, but happy to run back as there's questions, to any specific route or system or, or anything people wanna talk about. Um, so we will be putting together uh, route maps that show uh, lines that do not overlap. We didn't have the time to turn that around Uh, this time around. So if there's anything that appears confusing because a lines hidden behind another one, please ask. Happy to talk through what's happening there. This map you're looking at is the plan August system. So if you are looking at city routes that you're familiar with, those would all uh, remain the same uh, with the exception of 11 and 29 that are coordinated routes between the city and the university. So we'll look at those changes. Actually, start with that one. So, uh, this is the one set of routes that will change in August and then have experienced another slight change in January, um, aligned with the new facility. We tried to really minimize the difference between what's changing in August and, and what happens in January. And so, you'll see that we can, we can talk through that. Uh, these two routes are, as we've talked about before, what's called interlined meaning that buses would travel uh, back and forth seamlessly between the two routes. Um, Significant changes here are um, some streamlining of Route 11. Um, It now gets to campus, but uh, would not continue on to downtown and has cleaned up some of um, a lot of its northbound trip, especially took quite a while with all the twists and turns and that's gotten a little cleaner. So in general, Route 11 is headed from South Iowa um, up to campus. Those buses turn into Route 29 buses that head along Bob Billings um, out towards apartments on the Southwest area of town. So that happens um, back and forth, and there will be enough buses uh, assigned to these routes to achieve the schedule that you see here as well. which is 30 minutes for for much of its main ridership time that we see um, six to eight um, Monday through Friday, both during and not during semester. Um, And then some some bigger um, time splits when it comes to late night service or Saturdays and holidays. I will mention, uh, and this is a good one to highlight this, but you'll also see it with coordinated route 100 when we get there. Um, There was an attempt to what I call maybe smooth out service throughout the year. So there are some changes that occur um, during KU semester and not during KU semester, because KU is a participant in, in this coordinated route and are putting resources into it. So it makes sense for them to add resources when uh, there's higher ridership during semester time. Um, but the, the way we're structuring it upcoming will create um, less differentiation during, particularly the summer break and the winter break times. Uh, Right now routes 11 and 29 see quite a different um, type of schedule during those times. And our proposal moving forward is as you see in the yellow and blue Monday through Friday for that to remain more consistent through the year. Um, So people not necessarily going to KU, but using these routes would um, not experience kind of more major um, frequency changes, schedule changes throughout the year. I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that because that'll come back up as we talk about other coordinated routes. Route 30 and 36, so uh, interlines, KU operated routes. Um, so these will operate between the Meadowbrook apartment complex, campus along Bob Billings, and then take a very similar path that 36 does today. Um, one small difference with 36, it used to do its turnaround uh, right about here, just south of 6th Street in the Gateway Court area, and looking at a different loop in order to hit a, a new apartment complex um, up around, uh, along Firestone Road, I believe. Route 3438, a couple of other KU routes. These also proposed for an interline. buses traveling back and forth between them. Um, Route 38 has gone as far as 25th and Melrose uh, for a while. Uh, big change to that is extending it down also to um, the reserve, which is an important extension with some of the changes to Route 11. 11 will no longer jog over to pick up the reserve. So it was important to have a route connecting um, the reserve directly to KU, which is a big um, big ridership connection. 34 doing much the uh, quite similar as it does today. Uh, 36 does pick up this tiny piece that, it, that 34 no longer hits. Route 42 the KU route, circulator route, um, combining a lot of what routes 41 and 42 uh, separately do today. Um, there's a northern section of 42 that will be picked up by Route 36. Um, but the rest of this is a, a pretty good collection of what, um, what 41 and 42 do today for KU circulation. Before we jump into January, Margretta, do you have anything important to add that you want to add? I was
9: thinking it would be smart to mention that we had a lot of feedback about cutting off apartments at the end of Route 30. And our transit commission actually has a member who lives in the apartments near Orchard Corners. And the solution with Route 29 to go up Castle to Bob Billings and add a stop at that corner uh, seemed um, like a good one to her. So we are pretty happy that um, that solution to help them have more options uh, without having Route 30 go all the way there uh, went over. It was a seemed positive to her that we had addressed their concerns uh, with that change. Otherwise, I think that the only thing we're really losing, quote unquote, is Gateway up on 36. And since they will still have a bus stop very close on 6th Street, um, we didn't get any feedback about that at all.
2: Yeah, thanks for jumping in to that one because that was a good discussion. So apartments are about in this area, that Margarita was talking about, um, Apple Lane, Orchard Apartments, and um, Route 29 now comes up castled and turns on Bob Billings, and there will be a new stop very close walking distance to those apartments, so should have an alternative for for folks in that area. Okay, so I'll jump into January. So. most of what we just talked about, with the exception of 11 and 29 will not change again. So all those KU route plan changes will just continue on uh, come January. But uh, this does introduce a lot of the, um, all the city route changes that are dependent on the new transit facility. Hey
7: Adam. Yes. This is a few time number for to Uh to This. Is this going to like the public or something? Because like on the side it says January twenty twenty two. If you go down on the lime green, go down again. You see that right there on the, on the left side. Is that that's just a little typo though, so I don't know if you will fix it.
2: That is a mistake. Thank you for catching that. Yeah, this is twenty twenty three. So apologize for any confusion related to that. Um, got this title right, but must have. Uh, not got the other, so we'll get that corrected and reposted, but thank you for bringing it up now at least recorded meeting. Hopefully folks can uh, see that and understand the the correct. What it should be. Alright, so we'll jump into uh, the first set of uh, city changes in January. Uh, routes one and five. These are proposed to be interlined, so meaning that these routes will also um have buses transitioning back and forth between them uh, people being able to ride through from one route to another without getting off of one bus and on to another um, on the east side of town particularly with routes one and seven um route one we tried to get connected to a grocery store which it does not have today so there are um there's a lot of housing in this section of route one but In its current alignment, it does not directly hit a grocery store, requires a transfer. So this change brings it over to the Mass Street Dillon's, um, which is a a valuable thing for a common trip that people take, trying to get people to their normal trips on a single bus, without a transfer. And um, Route 1 will be one of the five buses serving the downtown area. It will still have five routes connected to it. The interline changeover will happen at the community shelter. We'll do a turnaround right there close to the community shelter. There will be a new stop uh, that's much closer for people using uh, the bus from that area. And then Route 5 will uh, travel through the East Hills business area along 23rd Street, uh, dipping into Haskell. Number of apartments um, that we're aiming to hit off of uh, 24th, Eddingham, Melrose, 25th, and then connecting via Castled into the the transfer facility. Um, One of the things that I'll I'll call out that you'll notice in some of these routes is we have direct connections to both um, our two major industrial park areas, East Hills Business Park, and then also the North industrial area up um, north of Hallmark. We have direct connections to both of those areas from both downtown and the hub. And so in this case, you see, the connection to East Hills directly, one bus from both downtown and the hub. You'll see similar things um, as we move into the next routes. I might also call out a uh, some schedule changes that will be relatively consistent across the city routes uh, based on when we see our ridership. Um, We have a lot of very low, uh, you know, less than five riders an hour or five riders a trip. In the midday between around nine and three and then on either ends of our service, the early morning and the later evening. So there is a a targeted approach to ridership on a lot of the city routes to keep 30 minute service during those peak times in the morning and afternoon. um, With less frequent during other times and. What that does, since we're, you know, uh, we need to do a cost, any cost neutral changes that we're making is it helps us um, buy, if you will, some new and different services. Um, Things like Sunday service that you will see, um, things like uh, Route 27 through Haskell and other areas operating year round instead of just semester times. a frequent route 100 that connects the downtown hub with the bob billings hub some of those changes uh, cost hours they cost revenue hours so uh, these are some of the places we saw less efficient use of resources and some of those other things we'll look at is us trying to um, you know, better serve the communities in other ways that we hear that we hear people want to be all right route three and six so these are also interlined routes. Uh, this is another example I mentioned. There's a lot of industrial, um, uh, good paying warehouse type jobs and different uh, job centers up in the North part of town. And with the three six interline, we have direct connections to that area from both the uh, new transfer facility on Bob Billings uh, and downtown. These both also connect to the hospital, so direct connections to the hospital from both of our primary transfer areas. And this will also do, um, there's a few routes that follow a pattern that uses 9th Rockledge 6th. So there's some important connections in that area. Um, the Merck, I know we got some comments about stops near there. Uh, there's some apartments over in, um, in that area as well, just off of 6th Street. So. Uh, there's some attempt to get more routes running through that area to, to get people connected to multiple places. Okay, uh, Route Four. Um, this is a essentially a combination of existing Route Four and Route Six, so um, operates through North Lawrence, through the downtown transfer area along the 9th street corridor. um, By the Merck, it does that rock ledge jog up to 6th street and then hits uh, most of what Route 6 does today. We did make some tweaks out on the west side of this route based on public feedback. Um, Heard a number of commenters at uh, there's some apartment complexes and a Dillon's out on 6th street that um, would be missed if we operated in both directions on Overland, so we did make a change to operate back on um, eastbound, a slightly different route, so we could still hit those bus stops that are close to those apartments in Dillon's, also made some changes out near Rock Chalk to more directly serve the Sports Pavilion um, on the outbound trip before heading back. August, I see you jumping in there.
5: I was just going to ask, the last meeting for the route redesign, uh, I believe Patricia Sinclair and Lance had questions for Boris about the 9th and Iowa area, as far as where riders would have to disembark the, the bus and have to, whether they would cross Iowa or 9th Street to get to the Merck. I don't know if there was
2: any additional information on that. Let us see if I can bring up these photos, because I can use, Patricia sent photos that might be helpful in explaining this. So... um this is on 9th street. It is, mm-hmm. uh, let's see if I can point out it on the map. Facing north the
0: Merck. north westbound.
2: slash northeast. Oops, lost my... So we are headed... Uh, we're facing westbound here, but this stop is an eastbound bus that would be coming back towards Iowa. We've got the Merck off to your left right. and behind you a bit. So this stop will remain remain being served. Um, it's closed right now because of some construction happening in the area. Uh, this is actually a stop that's on our next set to improve with bench and ADA accessible pad there. Um, I think there's a question about, could it be moved closer, maybe across this driveway or closer to the Merck? Um, there are some real challenges in that area, to moving it any closer, um, that we are unlikely to be able to accommodate, but that would be uh, both stops by the Merck would not require crossing Iowa to get there. Buses headed westbound would uh, drop off here. You would, you would need to use this light to cross safely at the crosswalk. But this one both in both cases, you're West of of Iowa. You're getting picked up and dropped off at the mark. Um, this stop is one that we just improved through street construction uh, just with ADA accessibility. But uh, we relocated this one slightly and put it here. We built a new sidewalk. We added ADA accessibility right there. So you know, 30 feet closer to the crosswalk, the intersection okay thank
4: you okay seven and nine um yes Lance faye vice chair petech i think one of the things that came up in concern about route four and i think you may patricia may have brought this up as well it would be the Existing stop of existing Route 4, once it turns south onto Iowa between Ninth and Harvard, and that it it um, that stop would be on the west side of Iowa, and that's right in front of the Hillcrest Shopping Center, Merck, and other businesses. Then that bus goes over down um, Harvard and serves close to West. Uh, junior high middle school and the apartments in that area. Um, What happens with this is that there's no service to that stop and those businesses or other areas uh, and that's only served by the the six which doesn't have the connectivity east or west. And I think there's a concern about having to cross a busier street to get to that Mm -hmm. shopping center. And so I think, well, could the westbound route for after the beginning of 2023, go ahead and turn uh, down Iowa to Harvard as it is and then make its way back. Uh, I, so that's kind of my understanding of that's the concern I had and the, the, what I may, may have understood from other concerns brought up is that it's how it drops off in front of the Hillcrest Shopping Center. That's an established stop with a shelter and everything and it serves quite a bit of stuff. So it was that was the concern. The one concern of all the routes is that came up in my head was that.
2: Gotcha.
0: Yeah, and I agree. That's what I remember reading from uh, Patricia's emails. It's basic. Like you're saying, it's the the stop that you would have to use if you are coming westbound would be across the street from 9th Street. And in order to get to the Hillcrest Shopping Center from there, you'd have to go east to 9th and Iowa and wait for a light and then cross there. And the Compared to what it is right now, that's a considerable change in behavior that we're asking people to do with this routing.
2: Yeah, so that helps me understand a little better. And I think so that what that would look like would be left turn here, mm. which it, never really, it does now as the left, Probably have to go to crest line and make that left and that left. Mm. Um, I would have some concerns with, well, a couple of things. Um, To to clarify, uh, Adam, I think
4: that, sorry, sorry, Lance Fay, Vice Chair, I think to clarify, what what I was kind of looking at and what I recommended in comments was that um, this might be one of those routes where westbound, it would take the left and go down to Harvard and then, Either Crestline or whatever up to sixth, but on the eastbound coming back, it could stay on its current path. But I think that would provide usage of that stop on the west side of Iowa and then still serve everything else that it's currently set up to serve. That's what I was kind of looking at as a possible yeah. recommendation on that.
2: I think, you know. We, we break our own rules all the time. So I'll, I'll say this and then immediately kind of break my own rule, but we try to avoid stuff like this, right? Eastbound doing something different than westbound because people riding to and from, you know, just having to use different stops or walk to make that happen. Um, I would be concerned on the complexity of this route and how long it is, just the, there is additional time to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know we heard particularly specifically from the um, Sunset Hills neighborhood to not operate on this part of Crestline near the school over there was a concern for that neighborhood and traffic. So there'd be a few challenges, I think, um, that, that kind of immediately jumped to mind. I don't know if any others have thoughts. Boris, did you have anything as you kind of hear that discussion?
10: Sorry, I was muted. Um, I think you you hit the nail on the head that you have these rules and then it's tempting to break them to try to, you know, appease one or two concerns. But the reality is what happens is you provide service that you run the risk of having two corridors served, but neither of them served well. And then you kind of alienate people in both corridors and you don't necessarily have the intended ridership benefit of splitting the route so whereas if you stick to one corridor and serve it well people that aren't on that corridor may have to make you know a bit of a walk Um, but splitting a route between the eastbound and westbound direction typically does not does not result in any stronger ridership if anything it creates um, two groups of people that are that are sort of inconvenienced rather than just one I'm curious about this about the um, overland and sixth split as well because that's another case where you you run the risk of um, let's say you know somebody that does get off on overland um, if they're heading westbound then in the eastbound direction they have a long walk to get to sixth so you know I I, I think that maybe this is more of a question than, than a suggestion, but why not just choose one of those corridors and stick to it rather than splitting it by direction?
2: Yeah, I mean, from our perspective, it was trying to get to there, there are um, some, uh, there's more housing being built along Overland, particularly senior housing. Um, but, but we do continue to hear about the Still and Stop, and there's um, Rohan Ridge Apartments down here. So it's just mm-hmm. this it challenging area where there are two corridors close to each other. They're not very long, right? It's really only between folks and Wakarusa. So it's it's trying where we can to get people the stops that are close to them and, and trying not to overly complicate ourselves with bi-directional service getting pulled apart. Right.
8: Excuse me, can I make a quick comment? Because I did have my hand up and people just yes, seem to... I
2: welcome have... uh, Patricia to
0: have the floor now. Thank
8: just you. Have... I'm sorry. I just... People seem to be just jumping in. And before you leave that issue of 9th and Iowa, that's a very dangerous intersection. I have been almost killed multiple times. People make right hand turns without looking to see who is waiting to cross or crossing. They just turn their head left to watch. And even though the city has put in all this money into redoing that intersection for a variety of reasons, It does not make it a safe intersection for pedestrians. What you'll have is people cutting across 9th Street. And I don't think there's such a thing as a rule that you just want to say, oh, let's just go with this, that, the other thing, because there's some rule that you're not wanting to follow or wanting to follow. So I just, having put in a little bit of time on this, I, I didn't intend to, speak on it but i'm just saying i think that's in also some respect to that shopping center you know it's not a huge shopping center but they have a lot of different things there's a uh at last t- time i checked there was a uh an ethnic barber shop there which is probably pretty unusual not a lot around town and you know bowling alley and so forth and so on you know lots of different um small businesses primarily um, so I'm just saying that I, it, it might take some work to figure out. It might take some time off of your schedule that you can't make up because you've got all this stuff happening at the far end of the, the um, road. But I am sticking up for the fact that I think that we have an established bus stop and it's a shame uh, with a shelter, it's a shame to, to lose it um, and, uh, you know, wind up with lot less convenient though so, you know getting off a 9th street or on a 9th street does not invite you into the shopping center. So I hope I've made a, a couple of points there. Thank
4: you. Lance Faye, PTAC Vice Chair. I agree um, wholeheartedly with Patricia's concern about the pedestrian safety around the intersection of 9th and Iowa. That's one I've had to use uh, frequently. Um, it, If you were to stick with the current route as proposed, there would need to be some kind of mandated traffic calming device or stoplight or something put in to allow pedestrians to cross shortly west of Iowa and some sort of way to encourage people to actually do that. Mm. Um, You'd have to look at where you put stops where they're not already. So do have some things to think about on this? If there's any route on this redesign map that I'm concerned about, this is it. And it's for that reason.
0: any other discussion? Oh, Gary, I see your hand is up. Go ahead, Gary.
11: Yes, thank you. Gary Weber, uh, Route Redesign Steering Committee. Um, I live near here, and the neighborhood is, first of all, the neighborhood is not very interested in buses coming in on Harvard and Centennial and Crestline, uh, and would prefer the alignment uh, as shown here for four. Honestly, we don't feel it's it's uh, a burden to, be, to have to walk down a block or two to get to in Iowa and although you care I have to admit any major intersection in town is dangerous and I think this one was in the past particularly bad because of the placement of a number of power poles and, mm-hmm. and traffic signals and uh, major improvements as as Patricia mentioned have been ongoing now on that intersection all new sidewalks on the west side and a new placement of lights away from the corner so that there's a large area of open concrete on a sidewalk on on all four corners now that are quite obvious to drivers, and I think that that what you what you lose from making this circle into the neighborhood and is is much more than what you would gain from from taking it. It's the it doesn't provide any greater access to Hillcrest really. It made to the bank a bit, I suppose. Cap Fed you know, has a little greater access, but it doesn't really improve access to the to the shopping center. All of those stores can easily use the. The two stops on 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 Ninth Street, and if they have to cross at the light, it's a brand new intersection with new stoplights, all new sidewalks and corners. So it's, it I would characterize it as greatly improved and, and as safe as any other major intersection in town. And I use it, I use it every week, quite often, two three times a week. So I would not encourage changing back to the current route and for to go into the into Sunset Hill neighborhood. I, I think this four routes serves and one more point the the shelter at at in front of Capitol federal on Iowa would not be lost or not used it it would be used by six so it would still be in use by a north-south route thank you
0: appreciate your comments Gary um is there any other comment question concern about this particular route I think we've uh, hit on both sides of what we might be able to do with this route Um, and we have other routes that we need to discuss. Uh, I will note, unfortunately, I need to sign off in a minute because I need to go pick up my niece from school and they will not like me being late. So uh, Lance, uh, you'll have responsibility for wrapping up the meeting. All right, I'll go
2: ahead and uh, scroll down to the next. Route seven and nine. Uh, These routes are proposed for interline. So operate back and forth together. I had mentioned some changes on the east side of town uh, to connect housing with grocery. Route 7 would be another example of that. Um, Warehouse Arts District and along a stretch of Haskell is currently served by 1. It would uh, now be served by 7, which connects the housing in that area. directly to uh, the uh, checkers, as well as the grocery that is in South Iowa. There was also um, heard a lot from folks in the Holcomb Park neighborhood about direct connection to uh, Billy Mills Middle School, as well as LHS. And um, providing this inner line, um, it is two routes, but it's uh, buses operating seamlessly back and forth. So, get on one bus near Holcomb Park and that that bus uh, transitions from Route 9 to 7 but takes you straight to those those two schools that we heard from from parents and families about. So those are a couple of um, things to note on here. I'll note that that Route 9 also is shortened. It um, in the past has gone up Wakarusa to 6th and Wakarusa. There has been pretty limited ridership in that area, um, in particular between Clinton Parkway and Bob Billings at the few stops there. So uh, this is another attempt to streamline route some, try to put our resources where where people are using the service. Um, And as you'll see, route uh, 10 will still pick up that area of Wakarusa, um, Bob Billings, and north of there. All right, 10 and 27. Uh, another inner line. So these two routes are really traveling a diagonal, uh, you know, northwest to southeast part of town. Um, I mentioned that 27 today it connects to Haskell and KU, but only operates during semesters. And um, this new route will operate year round. It will connect a number of different um, educational uh, locations. So It's furthest point is Peasley Tech and the College and Career Center. It then uh, serves Haskell on a new alignment that uses Perimeter Road, which is um, a road that goes more deeply into Haskell. It serves more closely a number of uh, residential uh, student residences that are back um, farther away from where current stops are. So we're hopeful that that can um, encourage and be more useful for ridership for uh, folks on Haskell's campus this also connects to um lhs the university and then the transfer facility Um, connects with route 10 which does some of what it does today heading out on bob billings up wakarusa Uh, one change is that it continues on wakarusa uh, which that's which then turns into rock chalk drive i believe um so this is a new corridor service for us there are apartment complexes up here that we have heard from, in particular, the links. So, um, not only the Overland Corridor, but also the Wakarusa and Rock Chalk Corridor. Both of those have a significant number of apartments on them, and this alignment helps helps serve that. 11 and 29, I mentioned, will experience um, some slight changes uh, again in January. Um, they they make most of their changes in in August, but the change that you'll note is that with the new transit facility, uh, these routes would would serve there as well now, and that is where the interline would occur. Uh, they still the alignment through through eleven and twenty nine otherwise is the same. Route 42 is very slight, um, there, there's a lot of work being done down in this area by KU endowment on some new development and um, once that's in a little better. A um, uh, little farther along progress Route 42 instead of going around this loop we will use the roundabout to head back so uh, pretty minimal change compared to what August is. Did I get that right Margretta? Anything else?
9: That's correct. We will simply change it when the pattern of the construction changes. We originally proposed this to start in August, but then we learned that the part of the construction that will involve the road that has the roundabout will go through the fall semester. And so that's why this change will be slated for January. Thank you.
2: Okay, route 100. I mentioned as one of the new um, routes that doesn't exist today. So uh, this picks up uh, really a section of current route 10, but operates at much more frequent, um, much more frequency. So the primary purpose of this route is to to very frequently connect um, our major hubs of ridership, um, the new transit facility, which will have. A uh, number of routes tran- transferring there and downtown with campus in between. Um, it also serves a piece of um, Apple Lane, the Orchard's Apartments that we had that we had talked about with, um, with Route 30 before. So looking at some of the higher frequency service we have in town, looking at 20 minute frequency for for much of the time, 40 minute at some of the. Um, uh, more off peak, you know, late night or uh, Saturdays and holidays. I believe the last slide and like I said happy to go back to anything is related to microtransit so uh, introducing Sunday service in the form of microtransit so there will be um, on-demand vehicles that people can request uh, either through an app or by calling a dispatcher and getting a ride um, be a shared ride service so um, maybe riding with other people maybe riding alone depending on the requests that are coming in, but you essentially be able to get, uh, you know, point to point anywhere within the city limits of Lawrence on on Sundays. So um, we are we were fortunate to win some grant funds through the state that will help us pursue and help pay for the technology required for micro transit. Um, so everything related to the app and the call-in system and and all of that. So we're uh, eager to get that going. With that, I will stop talking, see if there's other thoughts or questions. Happy to go back to anything. Pat, to see your hand raised, you wanna jump in?
8: Yeah, I have to get my notes out, Adam. But this is one of the ones I have to get my, I have to turn to my other page and get the, where I wrote, I wrote the, I have to get the comments I wrote about this. This is a, oh, Christmas. Sorry, just take me a second to get this up here. Okay, I'm very upset about this. Okay, uh, this these route changes mark a complete change in the structure and timing of routes as regards Ku and the City of Lawrence at large. In the past, there were routes clearly identified as Ku routes, which had changes in frequency or disappeared during Ku breaks. That system worked well for those not interested in accessing KU. They could simply disregard those KU routes and not worry about them at all. Now the routes are structured so that the most frequent service is devoted to those wanting to access KU and less, fre- less frequent services left for anyone else. How and why did this happen? This is discrimination and that is giving KU a strong advantage in a transit system that is supposed to serve an entire city population. This is one specific example of a change in the proposed new route, route 100. It was said to offer frequent and later service. It was said to specifically not be a KU bus route. As I looked over the schedule posted for today's meeting, I found something which I found shocking. For the KU fall and spring semesters, Monday through Friday, it runs 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. every 20 minutes and 8 p.m. to 10.30 every 40 minutes, okay? That's KU's f- f- fall and spring. For KU summer semester and breaks, it runs 6 a.m to 8 pm in every 20 minutes. Note the late night service 8 p.m to 1030 8 8, p.m has been eliminated. okay? so if, if you for those who want to keep track of when KU has their breaks and summer the entire summer semester, you know say goodbye to that late night stuff. On Saturdays and select holidays it runs every 40 minutes from 6 a.m to 8 p.m. Note, it runs less frequently and again eliminates the late night service. How is this not a KU bus route? or one that is clearly designed to meet the needs and schedules of KU. What will other riders do when they are not aware of KU's schedule of breaks and try to catch the bus? What about those who plan on the late night service and are left stranded? This is a disaster, okay? Uh, I feel that this is discriminatory. I feel that it is not there's not the inclus- inclusiveness and diversity and so forth being addressed in this kind of skewing the system towards KU. This is a city transit system that should incorpor- that is incorporating KU, not the other way around, it appears we are at the other way around now. I, I personally find that really extremely distasteful, shocking. I'm appalled that this has happened. And a, a route that was touted all along as not being a KU route, but there it is. And I, I really do not believe this complies with the, the city's diversity and inclusiveness policies. I do not feel that it addresses the needs of people who couldn't participate in this because they don't, I have just an iPhone. I don't have a computer or printer anymore. It's hard to get this information. I tried for well over a month to get paper copies of these routes so I could schedule them, look at them uh, ahead of time. I spent a lot of trouble just trying to do that without those paper copies. It's very difficult. Those people have needs as well. I'm very upset about this. Please tell me why this has turned into a KU route.
2: I can start um, helping some of that. You know, So this route, the, the primary frequency is for us to try to connect the, the downtown hub and the new transit hub, which will have a number of routes transferring there. There is KU between those two places. And there are there is a lot of ridership generated from that so there's there's not really a more direct path to get from the new transit facility to downtown um, and that's really in the intent of this route is to make sure those two hubs are connected um, as far as the late service so 6 to 8 a.m or 6 a.m to 8 p.m is really there because that aligns with the rest of city services at 8 p.m is when the nightline service begins which today is a dial-a-ride, but could very well, um, you know, use similar um, app and phone technology that, that the microtransit would. So there, there wouldn't be a gap, you know, after 8 p.m. it would just become a different service. Um, you know, much like today, city does not run service beyond 8 p.m. I don't know if that helps get at some of those, some of those some, issues.
11: Well,
8: I didn't, I didn't, ah, shoot.
9: Adam, may I add on to that? Sure. Margretta DeFries from KU Transportation Services. Don't take it personally. I, Patricia, I just wanted to say that this route is going to be a coordinated route like 29 and 11, where we're both putting resources into it, and that's where those evening hours come from for this. But... There's never been any discussion about not continuing to have KU routes on the KU schedule. And so I'm not 100% sure how it's inequitable to continue having KU routes on a KU schedule um, and having all the city routes connect together during the same hours that they run now. Um, But I'd be happy to talk to you about how the KU portion of this
8: works uh, I'm so I did not understand what you've just said I understand you were with KU and therefore you're advocating for them I'm telling you that this is not how it was proposed and told to us would happen I don't know the nightline I don't believe is available for people who aren't at KU so there's no point in talking about that maybe you could talk about how people are supposed to go if they want to go to city hall Actually, Patricia,
9: community. Nightline is a city service, and the KU version of that is called Safe
8: Ride, and that hasn't been part of the conversation at all. Oh, yeah. This the nightline is the one you have to sign up for, I think, way in advance. It doesn't meet this need. I've looked into it.
9: If you want to call KU Transportation Services sometime, I'm happy to
8: talk to you about the KU part of this. Well, I appreciate that very much. I'm just saying. I took a lot of time to read through this and to write my remarks and I stand by them. I feel that is it, it, you know, who's gonna, how are people gonna get home if they wanna go to a city commission meeting? This looked like it might be a, a a help, but it's not. I mean, do you think that anybody can possibly keep up with when KU's breaks are and so forth? They're trying to catch this route? It's not even just that it doesn't have any uh, it's not just that it doesn't have any uh, service beyond a certain time at night, it's that it it fluctuates in terms of when it's even available, what dates, and people, ordinary people that is people who are not accessing KU, which I have been at KU in the past, and I have a master's degree from KU and so forth, it's not that I am totally against KU, I just don't think that KU should be running the show i've taken up enough time at this i feel very strongly about this i don't think it's right it wasn't what was proposed what was wasn't what was told to us and if nobody is going to you're going to have people stranded it's going to be a, just a disaster
4: uh lance faye vice uh, vice chair of ptac um so there i think in this proposal uh of the 2023 route redesign i think overall there's a lot of really good positive things that do actually serve the community well Uh, i have a couple of concerns and i think before i can completely support it i would like to know that those two concerns are being made you know being very seriously considered um and i'll say also the role of ku uh is in its appropriate place within this, as far as I can tell. Uh, route 100 is, is a, a neat new design. Um, it would be nice if maybe any route that does run later, even if it's coordinated K- with KU and the city, it would be nice if we could coordinate and kind of keep consistency on the hours of day that those routes run. I, I don't know how possible that is, but that would be nice. Uh, it would be easier for riders to understand. My biggest concern remains uh, pedestrian and rider safety. I do still see, uh, I, I have a problem with that intersection of Ninth and Iowa. And I take that as a personal experience and hearing somebody say, oh, well we don't want buses going through our neighborhood doesn't fly with me saying oh we don't want to change a route where it doesn't do the same thing back and forth that also doesn't fly with me I have a hard time supporting this. Unless I know that pedestrian and rider safety are being considered and in that particular area that particular intersection of where the stops would align and how the traffic flow aligns I have a big problem. I need to know that's being taken seriously. Now, whatever that means, does that mean that we figure out a traffic calming device or a stop walk somewhere on 9th Street so people can cross safely, not at Iowa? Does that mean we change the route? One of the two. Something's got to happen there. The role of KU is fine. Um, The route 100 overall is fine. I do kind of worry about... Uh, changes in time and and um uh the times of the routes and how people understand that how writers work with that and how well that's communicated and i think that's something that's maybe more easily worked out um also introducing um sunday service and also i uh, yeah nightline's been around for a long time and i've used them a lot as not a ku person as a city writer I think there's a communication thing that we need to think about as to how that's presented. Um, and that could maybe be something, but I, I, my biggest concern is pedestrian and rider safety. And I'm really concerned about that one intersection.
2: Yeah, Adam Michael, Transit and Parking Manager. I can appreciate that, Lance. And we can certainly um, evaluate what's our, the work that's already been done, try to um, You know, we can do a walk, one of those walk audits where you go out there and, you know, actually try it and see it for yourself and um, feel how that feels and see um, if there are options for us. Um, So I think we get, as staff, we can certainly commit to getting a lot more familiar with that area and from the pedestrian safety perspective and trying to do the best that we can out there. Um, I want to highlight related to timing and having that be more more uh, easy, easier for people to understand during and not during semester. I guess I wanna highlight that's the full intent of what we're trying to do today, That or what we're trying to do in the future that is not this way today. So I'm highlighting here that Monday through Friday, whether it's during KU semester or not, the city portion of that service or, you know, the regular city hours, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. is consistent throughout the year. Monday through Friday, it's always going to be 20 minute service between 6 a.m. And, and 8 p.m. In a similar way,
7: let me clear this.
2: So in a similar way, 11 and 29 today, Have much bigger variation than we uh, are planning to do in the future. A and B service, um, you know, there's different frequencies that occur during yellow days and blue days, during semester and not during semester. And the intent with route redesign is to make that consistent experience Monday through Friday across the entire year for people. So you see 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. 30 minute service. So I guess I wanted that clarified and that we're we're that was a big focus was trying to like smooth that experience from the passenger perspective and let the city and KU on the back end figure out, you know, who's who's resourcing during this time and who's resourcing during this time. We'll figure that out amongst ourselves. as far as what buses and what money are included but the passenger experience is that it's monday through friday the entire year you can expect 30 minute service on these two routes whether you're in or out of semester you know the service that is late night that is you know that's that's definitely ku resourced it's, it's important for them during that time of the year during those semesters to have those extra resources so that's part of the uh, cooperation on these coordinated routes. And, you know, our our current approach to Saturdays is to resource it with the same services that we have Monday through Friday. Um, and the reality is we just don't see the same ridership. So on, on Saturday service, pretty much across the board on the city side, you do see, um, lower service there. It's us trying to match how we see people using the system and make sure we put resources in the right place. So all that to say is, I guess I just wanted to reiterate, we are trying um, to, to clean up some things that, that aren't as clean today moving forward and just wanted that to be clear.
8: But Adam, you, what you're saying is, not what I'm looking at, what I'm, what I'm saying, there's one thing that has the frequency with which the buses run. run. Okay, I, I'll push that aside. There's another thing that has to do with what's available on Saturdays and holidays. I'll push that aside. But the fact is that when the bus actually runs, the days of the year in which the bus actually runs is dependent on KU when they're in school. That is unacceptable. That means that all during the summer semester and during the breaks, which occur all throughout the year without, you know, if you're not following KU, you're not keeping up with the breaks. That is a a complete change from what we've had now the KU routes that we had before all were self-sufficient unto themselves. If you didn't want to use them you just didn't pay any attention to them. Now we have this 100 that people have been excited about and we have we find that you have to keep track of when KU is in, in, in session which means none at all in the summer and time during like any time during a break or something. That is a completely different story and what you are just talking about, is talking about the frequency with of the service within a day. That's a different story. So I'm saying it doesn't even operate all year round. So I'll- That's the case uh,
10: today.
2: That's the case yeah. today as well. You know, it's, what? Um, yeah, I that I wanna, is the case today. Yeah, let me clarify that though, Boris, because like the, the comment is this Route 100 is not projected to operate year round and it is projected to operate year round.
8: But what is that? It doesn't know
2: what it says.
4: Yeah. Am I? Right, Lance Fave, Vice Chair of P-Tech. I'm looking at the Route 100 right now. The only difference within the calendar year is between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. Monday through Friday during semesters, otherwise it runs throughout the year from six to eight. The frequency is a little bit less on Saturdays, but otherwise it's about the same. Um, And I, I would like, honestly, to see any of the coordinated routes that run between eight and 10, continue to do it when AKU is not in session but that's just a suggestion but now it runs all year and the way that this has been done in the past is it's pretty consistent with what we've done in the past if anything there are improvements to it I understand it might be a little confusing to see from a chart perspective but it does we're not losing service by any means
2: and I would say another thing I'd add to this is this so the city approach to uh like service throughout an entire day, a 24 hour day, has been from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. We are putting fixed route service on the street with nightline operating on those off hours overnight from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. the next day. Um, you know, as Lance said, certainly maybe in the in the future if we've have additional resources to add fixed route service later in the evening. We could explore that. We could eliminate some nightline service and instead do fixed route service. It's, it's just a very expensive trade off. So that's the um, that's the approach we've taken so far is that we can afford to have a handful of on demand vehicles overnight, but we can't afford an extra few hours with 21 vehicles on the street running fixed route service. It's a very different model. So um, yeah, I mean, certainly if if we discover new resources in the future and there's, there's a desire and need for more fixed route service that runs later and later, I'm happy to do that. It's just, if we want to do that today, we have to cut something else. So we're trying to provide 24 hour service, but only part of that can be fixed route. Part of it needs to be. On-demand vehicles.
8: I will say that I apologize. It is it is all it is not it, it is all year except it's a different schedule, and for that I think you'll have a lot of confusion and a lot of people missing rides, and I, and it's not at all the same as Nightline, which has a, you know there's no guarantee when they'll pick you up or bring bring you home. It's just shared ride service. You schedule it in advance, so, You know it's not the same. So I'm just saying, uh, I, I did not find this attachment, the the um, uh, PDF or whatever it was that, you know, that we're looking at now. I did not find it until this morning on here. I don't know if it was, I did not see it yesterday when I looked for it. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But I did not have much time to work with this. I had to set my alarm and get up real early this morning to try and go through this and write my comments and get them in to you before noon. So uh, I think it m- would have been good to have this in, in in an advance, turned in in advance. And then I'm sorry I wasn't able to get ever copies of the routes, uh, proposed roads, even though I requested them more over a month ago and was told that I could get them and then I could get them, Emily promised that I could get them, that was over a month ago. So I'm just saying, you know, it's it's been hard to get this information and I'm a slow learner, I'm old. I think it would be better if we could get it where, it... well, I've said, I've said enough, it's time to go.
7: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. This is Pete Dagan referring to here. Can we make a motion to move on to the Sunday transit after that?
2: Sorry, Fred. do you want to repeat that? I don't know if Blaine's, did you hear him?
7: I just said this is a type member, Fredy, get here after what, mm-hmm. after the comments concluded, can we just make a motion to move on to Sunday Microtransit? Mm-hmm. With a follow-up, of course, on the
2: um, notes after this, based on her comment, but can we just move on? Yeah, did you, did uh, Freddie, did you have additional comments on the Sunday Microtransit? No, um, I, just,
7: I just was wondering when we
2: can wrap this this portion up. Yeah, so just uh, briefly again, for Sunday Microtransit, what we're looking at is, um, uh, you know, the technology to either via an app and or uh, calling a dispatcher on Sundays, able to request a ride to and from anywhere in Lawrence city limits. Um, so that's the, the plan for Sunday microtransit service and, and what we're looking at in January. Lance, do you have any other? Um, I don't. we don't need any sort of action on this today, right? We were seeking a recommendation. From PTAC. To present it as it is to city. We are um, so we are in the phase where we need to start working towards um, ride guide production. Of course we have a little more time for January, um, but we were seeking approval to move forward with with the plan changes. Um, I know you'd express some doubts. We can certainly look at some of those. Issues, I'm looking around the screen and realizing that I don't think we have a uh, quorum.
4: In. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if we have quorum and I, I guess I'd like to know a little more about a couple things.
2: But um, So we would need um, we'll, we'll probably need to look at a special meeting. We do need okay. approval at least for the August changes, which do doing yeah. 11 and 29, so that we can get going on the ride guide production next month.
4: Yeah, so once we have quorum, if we want to Um, schedule a meeting if we need to. Um, Unfortunately, if we don't have quorum, there's no point in calling for a motion, so.
7: My apologies, it was just a motion to just move on from that particular discussion topic. Yeah. All right, Lance, we
4: want to do the next item. So what is our next item here? My apologies. So I think like everyone else, I got caught up in the, uh... oh goodness. So we've done the letters,
7: my bad here.
2: So what's our next item, since
4: I don't have it in front of me?
2: I'm sorry. It's uh, going to be a discussion around in-person meetings, meetings, moving. Forward. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess I recognize that we only have a few members here. so. Uh, and we're after time, so up to you on if happy to answer some questions about that now or, or talk through any of it with you all um, or we can talk about it as a larger group a uh, future future month We'll just give a quick overview, I guess. Sure. So uh, we're moving into uh, the stage of pandemic where, um, you know, we, we need to start discussing maybe if we uh, want to form some sort of plan for coming back to in person meetings. Uh, Practically, the way that would happen if the group wanted to was that we would do them in this room so that there's still relatively easy setup for hybrid meetings. Um, There will always be, I think, a virtual component to members and or members of the public being able to join virtually. But um, each advisory committee throughout the city is, is making some decisions about what their normal looks like on if they expect people to be in person and um, you know they can join virtually if if there's some unique circumstance or uh, you know some groups have decided to just remain virtual. So we can we can make really any decision we want as a group. Um, We can continue as things have been going, but there is some some more possibility to meet in person if there's people interested in that. So,
4: as Fay Vice Chair of ptech on on that, are is it uh, are we looking at making an expectation that people uh, attend in person? because my understanding is we were talking about just kind of making it
2: hybrid and encouraging attendance in person. Is that the idea? Yeah, it really is about setting expectations for members of the public in particular. So, you know, some people um, would like to make comments in the space that most of the members will be. So if everybody's gonna, if most people are gonna be virtual, uh, some folks would rather be make just make their comments virtually and not come to an empty room here, a mostly empty room. Um, but if most of the members are in-person, members of the public might decide they'd rather speak face-to-face with people. So it is just about trying to set an expectation and un- completely understanding that um, you know the the positives of hybrid is that it's flexible, and if you need to be virtual someday, that's fine. Um, it's just more about what's what's the consistent thing that we're doing as a group. And this is an action item, correct? Um, it's one that we would certainly want majority members to give us direction on. <laughs> okay. Do we need quorum to do an action or can we just give a we do not? Yeah, we're happy to take any feedback you have, but um, probably also want that from others um, in the group as well. So perhaps we can move this to the next meeting. So we have yes. members in quorum Yeah, to do so
4: to be respectful of all on it, I guess.
2: Yeah, that makes sense to me.
4: Um. So no, it's future agenda items and work sessions. Is that
2: correct? Yes, for PTAC numbers, if there's anything.
4: Something that I would like to bring up, um, because it it seems, I'm hearing a lot of feedback as I'm sure you are regarding, uh, you know, change to routes and schedules and everything and might be a good idea to clarify how we're going to communicate and prepare writers for the changes. I'm sure some thought's been given to that, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to visit in more in depth.
2: Yes, I would agree with that. We have put some, some thought into it. Um, You know, certainly doing it in a couple of phases can help a little bit. Some changes this August and, and um, a lot of the big city changes in, in January, but we are, Yeah, looking at options for uh, videos and printed materials and what sort of individualized travel training can we offer? I think there's a lot of stuff on the table. We just have to figure out what we can, um, what we can manage and what what people would be most interested in.
4: Any other uh, future agenda items or Things that uh, members or anyone else would like to recommend. The last offer, any other items? No. Okay. well, um, there's uh, transit staff
2: items. Yes, so I'll, I'll just mention these briefly. So we are we have been receiving electric bus shipments. We've got two of them here on property. Um, There's, you know, some pieces are coming together with chargers, so um, by late this month, we should be in good shape, all charging equipment in place, functioning, uh, tested, uh, same with buses. So we are looking at June 25th as our, um, it's a Saturday, as a date that we would unveil the electric buses uh, formally. They'll probably be out on routes a little bit before that doing some limited testing, but. Uh, This would be an event we're looking at um, just near the downtown transfer area, uh, making some remarks with project partners, taking a couple of rides with members of the public who want to get on board and see what it's like. Um, So on a Saturday morning, June 25th is what we're looking at. So an early heads up on that where other staff is putting together more details and we'll keep those coming to you, but wanted that on your radar Um, about six, six weeks away or so. And then the additional item on here, we had a good discussion around uh, fare free uh, this upcoming year, um, I believe in February. And we got some good comments um, after that meeting from uh, one of our fellow PTAC members who um, had some concerns with, with some other things we should be thinking about related to fare free. So uh, we need to have that discussion again as a group. I can, staff can, um, bring back additional info um, to to guide that discussion. But we do, um, we we would aim in June at next month's meeting to seek a policy recommendation from this group to the city commission, Um, you know, from from staff's current perspective and what we know, um, we'd be uh, seeking an approval to do a a one-year pilot of fare-free service across our services, Um, but we can, Talk that through with PTAC members and and see if we can get a motion at next month's meeting, but ultimately um, with a policy decision that has a significant um, cost impact that final is made at the city commission level, uh, which we would do in July. Uh, That's all we got from our end.
4: Adam, Do you have any. Um, anything to share on how we're preparing. Uh, say staff maintenance, staff drivers and everything for taking on and uh, infrastructure improvements for taking on electric buses, more electric buses. Is there anything you can share either now or maybe at the next meeting?
2: Yeah, I can give a little bit now. Happy to talk about it again, but there's, um, you know, since it's all new equipment, there's, we have a lot of training ahead of us for, for all these different systems. Um, some of that is um, already started as we coordinate with the different vendors, uh, Gillig being the bus manufacturer, ChargePoint being the charging infrastructure manufacturer. Um, there will be different back-end systems that help us uh, on the web be able to see performance related to chargers and related to bus performance. Um, I know that First Transit and their regional group has been very involved in helping our maintenance staff get prepared for Um, specialty equipment that we will need. Um, Certain things we'll need in the shop to to work with electric buses. So um, there's a lot of different moving parts. This is a big month as we start actually receiving things, getting things installed Um, that that really, for the next probably eight or 10 or 12 weeks is when a lot of that training and learning is occurring. On the, uh, I will say though on the surface, you know, the, the. that, that bus arrives to us gets pulled off the truck after a, a short amount of training you know uh, the the actual operation of it is not dissimilar from our hybrids as far as the way the gas well theoretical gas pedal acts um you know the resistance and things for uh, regenerative braking so um you know there, there's already we're, we're able to at least pull the bus around the lot pull in its parking space operationally it functions very similar to all of our current 40 footers
4: Lance Faye, Vice Chair. I think it would be um, good to have some information, not you know just for members, but for the public. uh, Even if it's just a basic, here's what we're doing to prepare for the electric buses, and you know as far as you know making sure they stay charged and that you know maintenance is all that kind of stuff. Because that's the questions I hear from people: how. How are people going to take care of them? Do they know how are they trained? You know, where are you going to charge them? How's that? And it's, it'd be good if we had some information out about that, I think, as this moves forward. So. Sure. Yeah. Any other questions on other items? Anybody? Going once, going twice. <laughs> hey. Looks like our next meeting is June thirteenth, unless we, I guess, unless we call an emergency one.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll evaluate and let members know. But appreciate that. Okay. Well,
4: gaveling out. <laughs>